0: In our Brimming Buckets theme verse, Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been examining this passage, looking at Paul's challenge to the church to fill their lives with the goodness of Jesus. Each week, we've been examining each of these elements to see what it is like to reflect Christ in our life. We've issued a bucket challenge, both within Church of the Nations and within our gathering here in the sanctuary. We're carrying around little buckets as a reminder each day that we are called to not only fill our lives with Christ, but to fill others with Christ as well. So how do we fill our lives with gentleness? A few weeks back, I woke up with a a craving. No, it wasn't for a cup of coffee, but I would probably drink 40 ounces by the end of the day. Was it for a delicious Mary's donut? But, you know, even if Mary Lee's is not anywhere near me, I will always accept one if one is, is given to me. Of all things I was craving, it was shepherd's pie. Now, true shepherd's pie is a wonderful mix of lamb and garden peas and carrots and garlic, all topped with roasted mashed potatoes. I was in charge of cooking for off-limits that night, so guess what we had for dinner. (laughs) I've always found it a bit weird that shepherd's pie consists of lamb because it's got to be weird to be hanging out with sheep all day just to find a little lamb to, you know, mix into your pie. And so in my sense of humor, I just imagine that conversation. Hey, Bleedy Bat, uh... I'm wondering, since we spend all day, you know, protecting you and everything, would it be okay if I take one of your little lambs so that I could cook it for dinner? Oh, great, wonderful. It's weird, but we have within a perspective of Jesus, Jesus is presented as a shepherd. Of course, there's that famous psalm that we're all familiar with, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack for nothing. The image of God as a shepherd provides a vivid image of gentleness. And one of the best examples of Jesus presented as a gentle shepherd is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 1. We'll have the words up on the the screen. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and he said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commands us to stone such woman. But what do you say? They were using this as a question to trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Ah, the law of Moses. Is there any more exciting book of the Bible than to read on the rules and regulations and punishments that come with it? It's like a high school principal's dream come true. <laughs> but Deuteronomy's and Leviticus contain most of the Scripture of what we refer to as the law of Moses. And these laws are, in a sense, a, uh, an explanation, a commentary on the Ten Commandments given to Moses. So uh, the commandment says you should not commit adultery. And just in case you didn't get that down packed, Deuteronomy 22 22 states if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife both the man and the woman who is sleeping with must die you must purge the evil from Israel and just in case that was just a one incident moment Leviticus 20:10 Deuteronomy 22:22 22, 22, Deuteronomy 17:2 through 7 Deuteronomy 19 all specifically state that you should drag this person out of town and throw stones at them until they die so here is the news from this passage they're right she should be stoned. It's what Uncle Moses would want us to do. See, the Pharisees loved the law of Moses. They believed that if they followed it to perfection, they would rid Israel of Romans and the puppet ruler Herod. If they followed the law and impressed it on other people with such zealous demand, God would find favor among the people. And as much as things change, they really do stay the same. If you replace the Pharisees with fill in the blank religious or political or social group, that you find today there are people who really love their rules and their expectations and their viewpoints and their perspective of the Bible, and they're willing to enforce it on other people. And please don't misunderstand me. I love the Bible. (laughs) The scriptures give me life, the scriptures shape and form me in who I am today, but when religious people are charged with the task of interpreting their holy text, it can be challenging. In reality, there is no great way to bring uniformity of belief when people are faced with how do we take the words of scripture and put them into action. It can be a very dangerous task. When you take a book like the Bible, understand to be the word of God for people it can be a struggle of authority as to how we implement what it says and what it does. There is great danger in allowing flawed beings to interpret a holy text. Let me repeat that. There is great danger in allowing flawed beings who are empowered to interpret a holy text. Just imagine for just a second, the New Testament writers have given the authority in the hands of of some of our former forebearers. Imagine southern pastors nearly 150 years ago reading these words of Scripture in 1 Peter 2. Slaves, be reverent in fear of God. Submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. The Spaniards and Portuguese were quoting scriptures to justify the conquest and enslavement of the indigenous people of Latin America. It also can be included in America in its manifest destiny. Lest we not forget the various people groups who experienced the flames of burning at the stake, all in the name of Jesus. So the Pharisees, here in this moment, with their religious text, are very much justified and bring this woman before Jesus to gather his religious interpretation. But what does it say back in verse 6? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis of accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stood down and wrote in the ground. So we have this group of Pharisees who've dragged this woman before Jesus. The law justifies what they are doing, and Jesus considers them how many of them have taken the laws that they have broken, and yet they do not find themselves under a stoner's rock. You see, Jesus is putting the whole law of Moses on the table for these self-righteous religious zealots to consider. So why don't we do the same? Are we truly faithful to the Bible? Do we really truly want to live into what the Bible says? The law of Moses has interesting things that we often ignore each and every day. I'll be preaching out of Leviticus 19 in spring when bull crawfish season comes about because according to the law of Moses, that is an abomination, God help us, those of us who eat marbled ribeyes or bacon, because eating fat is an abomination before God. I see a lot of uncovered heads and shaved beards and exposed ankles and necklines around here. Well, according to the law of Moses, that is an abomination. Anybody touch raw meat in the last week? According to the law of Moses, you're not supposed to enter the house of God for multiple days afterwards. Anyone here who watched and attended and supports LSU football is in danger of the wrath of God. According to the law of Moses, anyone should not come in contact with the skin of a pig. (laughs) Alabama fans are safe because they had a bye week yesterday. (laughs) But that's the Old Testament, you might be saying. What about the New Testament? Well, Women aren't supposed to speak in church and certainly should not teach men. Anyone decide not to return a runaway slave, how dare you? I see lots of grounds around here as we look around and we see that there's lots of eyes that have not been gouged out or hands have been cut off. I guess we don't want to follow the words of Jesus. I see a lot of people who own more than one shirt in here because Jesus says that if we own two, we should give one away to someone else. Are we starting to see that we have sometimes a, a pick-this-one-and-leave-that-one mentality when it comes to Scripture? And this is what Jesus is encountering with the Pharisees who, were, who dragged this adulterous woman before him. For every law that calls for stoning, there were all these other laws that called for repentance and forgiveness and compassion, They were simply picking and choosing which laws were important for their religious practices, and by fueling their hyper-aggression and judgment and rage, instead of faithfully following God, these religious people were faithfully following their interpretation of the Word of God. We live in such an angry and frustrated and annoyed and aggressive world. You can swap out religion— for work or politics or consumerism or sports or family or relationships or social issues. People get so bent out of shape over the littlest things that go wrong. A mishap in your order at a restaurant, the wrong flavor that the barista put in your coffee at CC's, delayed shipping from my online retailer. We don't want to listen with those that we don't agree with and so we, we interrupt them or, or we shut them down. We, we complain about everything from everyday mistakes to politics to sports to weather. We hold fast and hold grudges against people who have wronged us. We are disappointed in our expectations of others and our community and the world. And the one fatal flaw in our anger is that it blinds us from our own flaws. It, it removes our shortcomings to elevate the shortcomings and flaws of other people and the fact this is what Jesus is hinging this entire incident on, the French theolo- uh, theologian Francois Effelon put it this way: It is only imperfection that complains about what is imperfect in other people. In fact, the more perfect we are, the more gentle and quiet we become towards the defects of others. It says this in verse nine. At this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You see, this story personifies who Jesus is plain and simple. When given the opportunity to use the words of God to condemn this woman and to literally take her life with a stone, Jesus chose something different. Let that sink in for just a second. This woman is literally among a horde of religious laws that are going against her, yet Jesus chose a greater law, the law of love. You see, the love that is driven down to the root of our intentions in the face of Jesus' love, these religious leaders caved on their convictions and their judgments and their plans. One by one, they dropped their stones, realizing the immense guilt they had in the law and recognizing the forgiveness that God has bestowed upon them. An intense act of love and gentleness did this. What Jesus has done in this moment was to teach the Pharisees and to this woman and us is something very significant. Scripture is not designed for us to simply read and interpret and put into action, especially when the application of our scripture and methods religiously contradict the way of Jesus. In fact, it is the case, if we often are finding that our actions contradict Jesus, then maybe we need to rethink this whole God thing. The word of God is experienced through our journey with Jesus. Jesus gives shape to its implications. Jesus gives shapes to its application. And what Jesus shows us is the personification of gentleness in the story. His reaction to the Pharisees is a living embodiment of the words of the Proverbs that says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Jesus could have matched Judgment with judgment, condemnation with condemnation, biting words against biting words, but instead, Jesus chose to show a gentle reaction to these religious leaders. Too often, gentleness is viewed as weakness or submissiveness, yet Jesus shows us the profound transformative power of responding to hatred with love, condemnation with inclusiveness, discord with unity, aggression with meekness as i look back over the ministry of jesus how often did his gentleness transform moments and transform lives the crowd of hostility towards zacchaeus the pharisees rejecting of jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners the religious leaders horror of jesus healing the sick on the sabbath day the disciples turning children away from jesus to be blessed you see as we read this encounter with jesus you can just hear the words of James come flooding into our ears. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Jesus' gentleness transformed lives. Our text wraps up here in verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of Of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We recently took the girls to the planetarium in downtown, and just in case you forgot, that's a Ken Tipton work of art. The film was on the solar system. And if you recall your planetary studies, the sun is the star at the center of our solar system, its temperature is a cooling. 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. Just think about that for just a second. And in the scope, one million earths could fit into the sun, and yet this burning sphere of nuclear fusion benefits the earth marvelously. It takes light eight minutes to travel from the sun to the earth, and yet the sun's light has the ability to how it will allow us to see during the day and capture the reflection of it at night. And the sun warms the planet. It gives direction to the atmosphere and weather and climate. The sun gives energy to the growing plants that provide food and oxygen for us to have life on earth. This tremendous sphere is indescribable energy, powers life for us. And as I, as I close my eyes and hear these words of Jesus, I am the light Of the world. Imagine the most powerful and radiant light imaginable, brighter and more transformative than the center of our solar system. This cosmic light blazes deep into our lives, and if we choose to follow it, if we choose to follow in the way of Jesus, then it leads us out of darkness. Jesus' light glows in our life. And our tendency to use harsh and cutting words are softened with grace and with tact. As Jesus' light radiates in our mind, our ease of frustration and annoyance with others is eased into patience and understanding. As Jesus' light emits rays into our heart, we slow down our anger and aggression with love and forbearance. As Jesus' light emanates into the darkness, of our soul, we find that the hardness and callousness and mercilessness and indifference are muddled and reshaped into meekness. Jesus' light empowers us to become something new. Jesus' light empowers us to become gentle and humble at heart. I love the simplicity of Jesus' words, how they speak so plainly to us. And I love the complexity of Jesus' words, how they speak deep into the core of our existence. To this woman, Jesus was a brilliant and cosmic light protecting her with goodness, which beckoned her down a new path. To the religious leaders he stood toe-to-toe with, Jesus was a bright light illuminating their self-righteousness, but Jesus was not shaming and leaving them behind. Instead, Jesus called them into a way of life that was more reflective of God's light and compassion. Jesus is our light. Jesus is our light in the darkness. Jesus is our spotlight to the injustices of this world. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is your light. The light of Jesus shows us who we really are and calls us into a new way of thinking and living. As one author put it, a follower of Jesus reveals true humility by showing the gentleness of Christ, by being always ready to help others, by speaking kind words and performing unselfish acts, which elevates and ennobles the most sacred message that has come to this world Jesus is the light. Of the world. Every day you and I carry around a bucket. It is the bucket of our lives. And we have a choice to either fill up or empty our lives, to either fill up or empty the lives of others. And Jesus' invitation is to rethink what's in our bucket. Instead of a bucket filled with aggression and impatience and annoyance, Jesus invites us to fill our lives with gentleness that comes from God's bountiful love for us. As you carry your bucket this week, consider how you might be filled with the gentleness of Christ. Look to the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Christ, which emboldens us to know God's love for us. And as you carry your bucket this week, consider how you might fill the buckets of your neighbors and co-workers and strangers and people very different from you with gentleness.